Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 87 for Tuesday, September 15th, 2015. This may be the first time we've ever recorded an episode after midnight on the day it will be released. It feels very timely. Uh, I, we are all of us recording from Toronto, Canada. I am not in the same room as uh, Patches and David, but they are uh, hanging out together and eating wasabi peas in their no, charming David Airbnb somewhere. No, eating wasabi peas and now he's, he's no longer eating wasabi peas. It's all true. Oh, there you go. Well, uh, Patches and I have been here in Toronto since uh, for almost a week. David just got into town. And- <laughs> in Toronto for about three hours. And yet you still see the two-hour movie. And you managed to see a two-hour yeah, Chinese drama. Uh, yeah, uh, given that some people will be hearing this on the day we're recording it, uh, go to my Twitter feed. You can see the entire story from uh, me leaving Newark to me Claire Denise. being glared at yeah. by Claire Denise. How did that happen, by the way? <laughs> it's a long story that is not What? How is it a possibly a long story? You showed up to a movie theater and Claire Denise was there. Uh, Claire, Claire Denise was an uh, old friend of mine. We go way back. Um, and she was very disappointed that it took me so long to get here. Yeah, as we uh, all. As you can imagine. It's actually the subject matter of her next film. It is. Uh, but I'm here now. So, so we're talking about Toronto. We're talking about Toronto and maybe a little yeah. bit of uh, overlap from Telluride, where I was last weekend, uh, where some of the a lot of the same movies screened. David, what's it like uh, only being a citizen of film festivals now? I wish that were true, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, real life beckons all too often. But we will. Uh, a New York Film Festival press screenings start. Today, so I know we are living God. The best dream. No, no rest for the weary. Yeah, we uh, we don't have a structure for this episode. We're just going to kind of talk about our various festival experiences so far. Try to hold off on some of the films that David saw at Telluride that aren't going to be available to most people that aren't aren't at Toronto, but will be at New York Film Festival, like Carol and Jobs. Unavailable to the people who haven't attended festivals. Unavailable, or something. unavailable to me is mine. <laughs> um, I hear but, good things about Carol. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, really? Have you seen Carol? Yeah, have you seen Carol, dude? I'll, let me unmute you on Twitter and uh, <laughs> check if you have been tweeting about Carol. I don't know. I haven't been. I've been good. Oh, good. Just some Carol hashtags on Unrelated Back to World of time, Tomorrow. Time to time. That's why, uh, that's why Patches has muted oh the Carol God. hashtag. If I could put Kate Blanchett's head on the running Emily <laughs> gif from World of Tomorrow, truly. One of our listeners can that. actually do that. That's the best part. <laughs> There's actually there's going to be a revival screening of World of Tomorrow at the New York <laughs> Film Festival, and you will implode. I've actually been hoping one of our listeners can take that uh, clip from Jurassic World three of uh, the Velociraptor saying Alan and just have it being saying Carol, 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 Carol. I, I don't Carol? know if the technology required to do that would be that sophisticated. <laughs> I think uh, we would just be hearing one of our listeners' voices. Uh, Carol? So Carol is a, not, a movie that is not playing at the Toronto Film Festival, but. Uh, a number of movies are. I think I've seen good uh, over ten movies at this point. Hatches, I'm sure you're uh, similar to. I've, I've seen. I have seen maybe thirteen movies at this point. I think I've seen thirty. <laughs> you, well, David, David's in a, in a privileged position because you have been pre-screening a lot of things for your yeah, job. Yeah, most of the most of the stuff I've seen it played at can. Is there something that stands out that's in the Toronto lineup for you? Let's let's just kick it well, off. What's well, what's a okay, good well, actually, Toronto no, here, movie? 
I want to go much more specific, actually, at this dinner party we were just at. We were talking about how uh, there's been a seeming lack of kind of five-star knockout great movies at Toronto this year. And uh, oh, yes. David, so you agree British with friends that. are really worried that there aren't legendary films playing at Toronto this year. I mean, I kind of agree. I ha- yes, our uh, British friends at The Guardian were all worried for uh, us. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's not Toronto's fault necessarily. I think it's just uh, maybe a weak season. Um, for knockout movies, there are some coming down the pike, which I've been sworn not to discuss. <laughs> but uh, they, I think, uh, you know, clearly from my vantage point, as someone who saw it last week in Telluride and has been just sitting on Twitter during the first week of this festival, it seems like the uh, smattering of buzz of, uh, about Anomalisa, Charlie Kaufman, and Duke Johnson's stop motion film, uh, which premiered last week in Colorado, has really exploded into a uh, Niagara Falls of buzz. Wow. Yeah, Kate, Katie me. can attest. She has seen uh, it. I have not. I, I'm very I depressed. Have in and a it's, Charlie Kaufman it, kind of way depressed. It is quite good. What do you mean quite good? That's not an I, assessment. I still, I, I still don't know if I think it is as rich thematically as a lot of Charlie Kaufman's other movies, specifically Synecdoche, New York, which I watched really recently because of our quarter quell. I, I feel like it's really inventive. The stop motion is really fantastic. It kind of is unbelievable to me that it took this long for Charlie Kaufman to make a stop motion movie. He seems so well suited to it. But what I was left with at the end of the movie felt to me a little thin. And that's something I'm still grappling with and may very well take back on a second viewing. What What is um, the movie about and why do you th- I think that? Just to be very brief about it. Well, I, I don't want to get into the plot too much because I, I mean, think... It's, it's the, about the a, uh, a motivational yeah. speaker who is played who is voiced by David Thewlis from Naked is probably giving his best performance since. Or Harry Potter. Or Harry Potter. Um, who goes to, he's married, he goes to Cincinnati for a conference where he is a little celebrity in this circle delivering his sales pitch. Um, he meets, uh, he, he tries to hook up with a woman that he used to be in love with, uh, he hasn't seen in a long time, and then he meets a girl uh, named Lisa, uh, and she's voiced by Jennifer Jason Lee, and they have a very interesting evening together as his world and, and it's face important. begins to fall apart. And everyone else in this world is voiced by Tom Noonan, kind of very, very flat male American voice. Everyone from this guy's wife and child to the guy at the front desk to random people on television, they all have this other voice. So when he meets Lisa, who has the voice of Jennifer Jason Leigh, she is kind of this gem of a creature. You might say that she's an anomaly. She might be an anomaly. And uh, it's, you know, about what happens when you find someone you think is going to rescue you from the judge. Anomalisa. Yeah, but what? Um, oh. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what I got from what it said about what happens when you try to be rescued from the drudgery of your day to day life. That maybe I haven't found in other films, but that's something to be maybe discussed about. I thought it was less about the drudgery of everyday life than it was um, the prison of egocentricity about everyone sort of being trapped in their own heads. Uh, and, yeah. and struggling to it sounds like every Toronto movie I've sounds, seen. It sounds like a lot of Charlie Kaufman movies, too. Yeah, definitely. It, it was very evocative of other Charlie Kaufman movies. And it's funny. I, I rode up the 97-hour van to Telluride with Tom Noonan, who said, who said absolutely nothing in the, in the front seat. And I couldn't place him the entire time, of course, now, you know, as soon as In I, the movie, you mean? Uh, no, in life. I was like, who oh. is that guy? I know I recognize him. Um but uh, he, he's, uh, he has one of those voices and faces that uh, makes that he's sort of instantly recognizable, but hard to place. It could not be more perfect casting in Anomalisa 
But I do think that films like Anomalisa and another film, which has done exceedingly well here, like Spotlight, uh, have benefited from a weak comp- a weaker field. Now, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what are you saying when you say that? I mean, I think they're both very good movies. Uh, I think people... Uh, I don't share the... I, I think Spotlight is a rock-solid piece of... Uh, you're, you're reacting to people... You're reacting to Oscar buzz, I think, a little well, bit. Well, not even Oscar that. buzz. I mean, there has been some of that for Spotlight, but uh, a lot of people came out of it saying it was their favorite movie of the year, and um, I don't think that it has that spark to be a truly great film. I think it's a very, very good film, but uh, I do think that it... Uh, Spotlight, in particular, gets a huge boost by the fact that all the other... Um, heavy awards contendery films that are being looked at through that lens are disappointing. Well, back, background here. Spotlight is Tom just, McCarthy's uh, fourth? I want to say it's his fourth film. He did The Station Agent. What was his... The, the Visitor. The Visitor. What was his third film? Some, no, wasn't the Visitor's third film? Didn't he do something wasn't between Wasn't there something the between The Visitor and Cobbler, which was last year's uh, uh, disaster win-win. for hire joint? Win-win. Win-win. Oh, win-win. Oh, win-win. Was oh, win-win. Yes, okay. So win-win was his third He's film. He's made the station. The, the, the yeah, this is his, this is his uh, fifth film. Gotcha. So this is his fifth film. This is about the Catholic church sex abuse scandal that the Boston Globe uncovered right around 2001. I, get, I think they released the story in 2002. And it's very, I mean, it's pretty straightforward in an all the president's men type. We're going to chronicle the the research and investigation of this story and how the globe put this together how they kind of went against the grain and went against all of boston to to put this story together when everyone was telling them to kind of push it aside sweep it under the rug um and i david before i was i think i was drunkenly talking about before we podcasted that um this film it's pretty good. I mean, I, I was astounded by it, actually. And the writing is superb. The performances, Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton. Uh, who else is in this movie? Stanley uh, Tucci, Liev Schreiber. Tucci. Oh, Liev Schreiber. Schreiber. I'm, I'm so impressed by Liev Schreiber, who plays the editor, this guy who comes into the Globe and is, is the one who kind of kicks everyone in the ass and says, let's investigate this story. And <laughs> the I thought this kick in the ass. Well, no, but that's what's amazing. He's so, like, calm about it, restrained, and like, yes, we will... We will investigate this story. Like, obviously, why would anyone ignore this? We're going to pursue it. I, I found his performance to be quite captivating. But what keeps it from greatness for me is um, the, the look of it, the, the cinematography, the filmmaking itself, which is a weird thing to think about. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot when I've seen films at Toronto and in general recently, just in the, in the past few months, about the, kind of the disposability of, of film and if you shoot something just that's on the cuff, that's very in the moment, that seems zeitgeisty and embedded right now in 2015, and you just kind of shoot it simply, even if it's captivating in its drama and its performances and in the writing, something about not having the formality might not let it persist. I, I've been thinking about a lot of our conversation, Katie, that we had with Dave about what best picture winners will stand the test of time. And I think it has something to do with that, about the, about the look of films, which I didn't realize I was investing so much in until just recently. Um, hmm. Spotlight is not necessarily a beautiful film. It has some very beautiful sequences in it, um, directing-wise. But it's not, it's not Palooka. 
It's not uh, the the cinematography of all the president's men, and something I think that keeps it from something. I don't know. Pacula, Pacula. Well, what am I? Pacula. Pacula. I was trying to figure out what Bazooka Joe. Bazooka Joe. I was trying to figure out what political thriller they called Paluka. We were trying to think. Paluka. Well, if we want to talk about visually fascinating movies, can I give a shout out to Beast of No Nation? You yeah. Can't. Wait, did you see that at Telluride? I haven't seen it, no. It, uh, it, it's going to tell you right, but David didn't see Katie it there. Katie and I saw this film no, together. I, I, ate, what? I got high, I ate all of Idris Elba's birthday chicken, and then I slept through the screening of this movie. I don't even want to know how that happened. <laughs> uh, you can read about it in his uh, Little White Lies oh, Telluride yeah. Diary. I did. Yeah, Beast of Donation. It is uh, the film from True Detectives, Kerry Fukunaga, who previously made Sin Nombre and Jane Eyre. Um, he true is, he, where well, I said, I, I said true detective. You did. Oh, well, I'm not yeah. Listening. Wait, listen. Uh, and he was his own DP on this, which I think is really interesting. He's, uh, he worked as a camera operator before he had a directing career and, uh, shot this movie in Ghana. It's about a, a child soldier in an unnamed West African country, uh, kind of brought into this rebel army, someone against his will after his whole family is murdered. It's very heavy stuff, but I think told with a really light, not a light touch, but like a really like an elegance of storytelling that keeps you invested in in a major way. And it's really beautiful, which is fascinating because it's a movie that many people will see on Netflix. It's distributed by Netflix. It's going to open in theaters and on Netflix day and date, same day on October 16th. Um, and I think that's a really interesting choice for something that is this visually fascinating. It was shot before the Netflix deal. So it's not like he knew it was going to be on TV when he made it. But Patches, I wonder how you feel about that maybe being, a, you know, disadvantage, like a disadvantage for this film and how gorgeous it is compared to some of these films, like you were saying, that don't really bother with the visuals. Well, I'm definitely in, in the, the middle on this movie, which I think goes against... I, th- I think I'm in the minority here uh, about kind of feeling cool on Beasts of No Nation in terms... I mean, I, I wish people would be able to see this in theaters. People are going to watch this on Netflix, but what I was astounded by when the movie is the sound design and the picture quality and how loud it can be and how colorful it can be and how vivid um, in, in both respects. Uh, and it's unfortunate that people will see this on Netflix. I think people really need to go out to the theaters and see Beasts of No Nation. And yet, uh, in, in terms of story, in terms of character, I think it's kind of flat. You know, It doesn't really go anywhere. It's very um, a macro view of whatever war... It's trying to encapsulate, you know, it takes place in a fictional African country and it's at a fictional African war. And I really couldn't invest in anything. I think the uh, the young lad at the center of the film, uh, who, uh, Abraham Atta is his name, who plays this character, Agu, who is this young boy whose family is, is, is killed and he's taken and, and he's embedded in this uh, in, in this militia for revolution. And Idris Elba is his commander and wants to turn him into a true soldier. And uh, I couldn't, you know, I, 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 it's very slight, I actually, I think. And Idris Elba, maybe not as good as everyone, ever, everyone thinks he is. Wow. He's a very charming guy. I know, that is total, that's sacrilege. Um, I really couldn't get into the, there, or there is no character dynamic really between them in terms of, I mean, it's, it's just about... I feel like that's so profoundly untrue, but... (laughs) It's just about making you feel awful. I I will be... No, it it is so not. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. But, um, I I mean, I did find it very affecting, and and the imagery is quite astounding. The way they shot it and the way it sounds, I really would want people to see this on a big screen, but people won't. Now, did either of you see a... It's a shift to a smaller movie uh, that doesn't have the mystique of 
carry Joji Fukunaga behind it. Uh, did either of you see a film called Mustang? Mustang? No. No, I think did it play in Sundance or did it only play in Cannes? No, I think no, it played at Cannes. Cannes, yeah. Um, Wow, I really wish... People, everyone's going crazy for this. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, It is sort of... The really reductive but sort of helpful way of describing it is to say that it's a uh, remote Turkish virgin suicides. It's shot with almost... This sounds like your perfect film. (laughs) It's shot with almost as much uh, style as as virgin suicides, um, a little bit detached from that particular American sense of cool, as you might imagine. There's a... uh, Heavy. It's about these five girls who grow up in a strict Muslim family, and um, there are, are religious elements that are inseparable from the rest of their lives. But otherwise, you'll be pretty familiar with those beats, as they are. Uh, there are pressures to be married off that were not there in the Virgin Suicides, but uh, exploring a similar enough milieu and similar time of life, uh, but really, really effectively and differently enough, of course, for it to be its own thing. Um, and it's actually opening in. Oh, well, I don't know where, but I mean, definitely in New York. Uh, soon, sooner rather than later, I think in October. Um, but it's called Mustang. It's really, really good. <laughs> and, uh, you should see that. But that's, that's an under-the-radar pick at Toronto. Katie, have you seen anything little? I guess that's always our pursuit here, right? Ugh, we're, yeah. always, we're always going to festivals, having to cover what we have to cover for our jobs, which yeah. is always the big star-studded fair, and trying to squeeze in anything smaller... Off the off the grid. What, what what have you seen anything to that effect? I mean, I think the closest I can get is the Emma Watson Daniel Brühl movie set during really? playing. I mean, yeah, I haven't. I mean, I have really been trying to knock out the stuff that I need to see throughout the fall. That's kind of the reason that I get to come here. What's, so, what's the deal with that film? Because it sounded like just another kind of genre movie, or is it just it's a strange? Col- Colono- uh, it's Colonia. Col- yeah, oh, it's the a, Emma Watson joint. Yeah. It's a strange movie because it's like, a, in some ways, it's like a pretty typical escape thriller, and it's uh, set in this uh, Chilean cult compound where Emma Watson goes to infiltrate to break out her boyfriend, is played by Daniel Brühl. But it's based on what really happened during uh, Pinochet's revolution in Chile, where they would send political dissidents to this cult compound, like founded by this German immigrant who has all these people like dressed like Amish, basically, and till the farms and you know tells women about how they're occupied by Satan. So it's a, it's this slice of history that you had no idea existed, kind of told in the framework of a. Well, I knew that women are occupied. Thriller story, and that's true. You would fit right I in. Dated them. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, it's you know, it's not the specialist movie I've seen here, but Emma Watson is very good at it. I think her choices as an actress are really fascinating. Which David, as a fan of the Bling Ring, I'm sure could agree with. Oh yeah. Um, I liked so, that yeah. tongue move that she made during that one dance <laughs> well, scene in that gift that I keep watching over and over again. Yeah, the time. As a segue, that's too good for me to resist. There's a really good Chilean film that's playing here uh, by Pablo Lorraine, who's probably the most popular uh, or significant Chilean filmmaker working today. He made um, No, which I know Katie liked. Chile. I liked it. Patches, <laughs> yeah, like, we both big fans, big, big fans of No around here. Um, <laughs> and his latest film is called The Club, uh, and it is very different than No. It's it's actually, um, I think it's playing at Fantastic Fest, which is, that's how different it is from No. Uh, it, it harkens back to his earlier films, which had a darker streak to them, but uh, it's, I think it's probably his most accessible work to date in a way. It's about a conclave of 
sort of shamed priests. It actually would make for a hell of a double feature with Spotlight because it's about uh, priests who have um, had homosexual or pedophilic tendencies and have been sort of outcast to this community, this uh, one house that's run by the church, so the church can sort of detain them, keep an eye on them, and they are um, harassed would be the wrong word given what some of them have done, but they are, uh, uh, they can't really escape some of the people that they've harmed, and uh, one of them commits suicide in the very beginning, and that uh, causes someone from the Vatican to come in and, and take charge of things, and things get real dark real fast. Um, and uh, it's uh, if you like Pablo Lorraine um, or if anything, if any of this sounds up your alley, the, the club is really, really interesting. But it, especially if you're here at the festival or anywhere where you can see it within the um, a few hours, few days of spotlight, because it will really hammer home. Uh, just how grievous the crimes that they're investigating in Spotlight are. It made our colleague and my roommate here at TIFF, Matt Singer of uh, Film Spotting SVU, feel very bad inside. He came home and he was like, I thought uh, the club was bad when like all the, the molesting priests got together and then somehow it got so much more depressing. And, and <laughs> I don't know how, but... It's pretty depressing, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not an upper, that's for sure. Who wants an upper? Yeah. It is fall. Uh, I think a lot of It's time to well, go down. Like, it's 45 like... years, which I know Patches really Oh, liked. my God. Oh, yeah, that movie's a real... A it's real, my favorite uh, of the fest. Definitely. It's a real uh, heartstring tugger right there. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? I, I, I want to hear what you have to say about four. What What is 45 Me? years? Set it up. Well, 40, oh, yeah, it's, it's hard to know who Patches was referring to. But, all of you. Uh, all of you out there 40, in the... <laughs> 45 Years is a new film by Andrew Haig, who made Weekend uh, and that HBO show Looking. Uh, It stars Charlotte Rampling and another gentleman whose name is uh, Richard Cunningham. No, Tom Courtney. Tom Courtney. Yeah, Tom Courtney. Uh, Sorry, I know Tom Courtney. um, Richard Cunningham, I think, is uh, the brother from Happy Days who walked off and went to a basketball (laughs) game and never came back. And they've been (laughs) married for guess how long? 45 years. But... He has uh, maybe a little bit of a secret. He um, he was yeah. What's the spoiler here? Well, nothing, almost everything. The setup of the movie, the premise of the movie, is that he was in a relationship before they got married, which I yes. think she knows about. Um, she does with a woman who died yeah. in a. Then this part's a bit of a stretch, but you roll with it because it's sort of the premise. She fell down a hole. She, she she died in a climbing accident in a mountain somewhere. Yeah, um, and. Uh, they found her body 45 years later, and it hasn't aged, and it's frozen. She's dead. I think because of climate change. Well, whatever he, the reason. He, I think the implication is climate change. change. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so they found the body, and so the past becomes present for him and for his current wife, Charlotte Rampling, uh, once again. And she becomes a little bit obsessed about how about just the thought sort of gnaws at her that he would not have married her had he not lost this other woman, that he may have had a stronger bond with her. And she scratches that itch maybe a little bit too hard. And oh, That's uh, an interesting yeah. judgment to put on her. <laughs> um, well, it's, I don't want to judge the character, but I think that uh, she goes on an interesting introspective journey that she has to that's go a, on that's alone. A, just, that's a really interesting judgment. I mean, because I think this is what the film is about. How you might perceive how far she goes and how far she digs into it. And, I mean, she struggles with this exact same yeah. thing. Should she care? 
Should she care what he has hidden from her or what he's brushed under the rug and has assumed does not matter in their relationship? And, and what are you going to do? Look, as someone who just ago, got engaged and has a year to uh, get ready for their marriage, I will say that um, this this movie raised a lot of questions or, or just made me think a lot. And, and uh, you know, it's about transparency. And Charlotte Rampling is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I really, I keep telling people I see at the fest that I haven't seen a performance like this in, in years. Just well, you something haven't that's seen Carol, so, but... That I have not seen Carol, and I'm not fucking seeing... I'm never going to see Carol. Uh, no, I'll see Carol someday. Uh, I just haven't seen something so delicate and seen a performer so in control of her of her body, and but still being restrained and just seeming to live truly in, in this world that she's in. I, I just thought it was so phenomenal uh, and how sympathetic she can be to him, and yet... Uh, convince herself of her own feelings and, and really embrace her own feelings. It's so layered. It's so wonderful. And it's not what I expected, actually, from Andrew Haig after Weekend, which was kind of this loose, I'm not going to call it like mumblecore, but very spontaneous mm-hmm. filmmaking, improvisational. The, the 45 Years has a very strong script and it has a very formal sense of filmmaking. But it's that also, I it's a, like, well, I think you're spot on about how it goes about these things and the shape that it takes. Uh, I think the themes that he's going after, these elements of interpersonal connection, you know, really relying on these two characters and what they mean to one another, it's also, I think, just as easy to see how it is coming from the same filmmaker. Well, I think he's obsessed with time. Mm. And time has a big part. You know, weekend, it's over a weekend. 45 Mm. years, 45 years has gone by. And, you know, it's actually a countdown film. Because they have one week left until they're going to celebrate their big anniversary party. Right. Um, so it has, has connections and to that. And for people but. who love doozies of last shots, uh, 45 oh. years definitely has one. Can't wait to get my hands on that gif. <laughs> Can't wait to <laughs> yeah, use that. That, that gif's going to burn up the internet. Uh-huh. So wait, Katie, 45 years is probably my favorite film that I've seen at TIFF so far. What is, what is yours? Um, I kind of go back and forth between very different films, uh, Beast of No Nation and The Martian. The Martian, really? I Hollywood movie. really love The Martian. You're a hack. Now, part of me, and this is partially motivated by self-interest <laughs> because I don't see The Martian until Wednesday, but this movie opens in like two weeks, and part of me yes. that means it's automatically that we should probably it can't be just save it. No, we should, uh, something happened in your It's going to be okay. Oh, uh, should, uh, <laughs> should save most any deep conversation about it for the imminent future. Yes, we'll have a we'll have a good conversation. But Matt Damon, you like his sass. You love how he love. marginalizes women and people of color, right? Wow, I that saw is that just in Project Greenlight. I just I had a screener of Project Greenlight. I saw that a couple weeks ago, and then I saw The Martian, and I still loved it. So I mean, yeah. we can talk about it. It actually would be a fun topic on a future episode of the show to talk about. Yes, when we're not all you know. And um, are you saying I should be watching Project Greenlight? This well, season? I happen to be a school. The the guy who won Project Greenlight is directing it is a classmate of mine. Um, Wait, the guy who is directing. Yeah, he the, was, oh, the movie in Project yeah, Greenlight. Yeah. Okay, the guy who was being yeah, yeah. put on the front. No, the guy who was directing the season of Project Well, Greenlight. that's what I thought you meant. Yeah, the guy <laughs> who won the contest and is directing the movie in the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like The Martian. I think it's really excellently constructed. As Patches and I have discussed, I think it's better than the book that it's based on, even though I like the book. Um, and I had just, a long conversation about Ridley Scott at some point in the past episodes where we talked about him as a designer and as, uh, as, as, as someone who is just obsessed with how his own movies are working, which I, found, I recalled while watching The Martian, 
and thought, yes, this is what he's all about. And this movie plays perfectly. Yeah, I, that's the thing is like it doesn't come across as someone who's fussily trying to create the world of his film. It comes across as a story. It moves with this great energy. I think Drew Goddard's script helps out a lot. I think Matt Damon's performance helps a lot. It's really well cast, and uh, I don't know. It's like a. It's not the kind of thing that I necessarily even think you should come to Toronto for. It does open in a couple of weeks, so I probably could have used my time better seeing something smaller. But it's really. That was a really entertaining big movie, and I haven't seen very many of those lately. David, David is there anything right? from Telluride that you saw that that matters? <laughs> Other than Carol, uh, besides I, I, Mala- the Malala Doc, explicitly talking about films that are playing here because we'll talk about Steve Jobs <laughs> together soon. And Steve Jobs and Carol, for anyone who's really interested in what you're playing at festivals, what the overlap is, I think are the only two films that I saw at Telluride that aren't playing at Toronto. Um, but then again, I only saw. Ten films at time. Well, I'm, I'm looking it. at your list here, and Room is pretty low on the on the totem <laughs> well, pole. These I, Patches is looking at my letterbox list of the 30 Toronto films I've seen so far, and uh, wow. Room is low on the totem pole. But I should stress that like 25 of these 30 movies are all very good. <laughs> so uh, I I'd, and I put Room in that category. Um, the Malala documentary is a fucking nightmare. Uh, and really, that's that's something that we can talk about. Uh, Suffragette is not playing here. That's another film no. I saw. At, at no, Telluride. it's not here. Um, uh, maybe again on a future episode, we can talk about these very well-intentioned, heart of gold message movies uh, and how they are fucking abysmal and should be euthanized. <laughs> um, and Free help. Which is here? Freeheld is an abomination. Freeheld on David's list is just above Malala. Uh, yeah, Freeheld, <laughs> and and you know, I I couldn't possibly endorse more the message that really any of these movies are are projecting. The right to vote, I don't think that's for women. I don't think that's particularly controversial. Saying women deserve to go to school and right, to say that. Well, not and not just women. I think that education is uh, is a human value and the good that it does and the, the need for it. I. No argument for me, and certainly with free health, um, you know, for for human rights, gay rights, the right to marry. I think that these uh, things are are things that I walk about assuming that everyone in my fortunate uh, sliver of the world uh, accepts implicitly to be true. These movies need to be stopped. <laughs> Suffragette is a train wreck. <laughs> it is completely inept filmmaking, and I think it got a pass from a lot of people that uh, I. Don't understand why. I mean, it has a very impressive cast. Carrie Mulligan is always solid, if not much, if not better. Um, I don't know when we're gonna. That's not playing New York. Yeah, either, I, mean, it so. op- I think it opens like later this month. Um, but uh, I, I was. I, it's really inept filmmaking. Um, the script is a muddle. It's all over the place. I think it actually set women back a few years potentially. Uh, it's it's a really. A terrible movie, and Freeheld and Malala are the one and two worst. Now, what about? Come on, you both saw Freeheld. I like Peter Sollett. I have not seen this film yet. Uh, It's it's Julianne Moore. She just won an Oscar. Ellen Page, lovely woman. I I think I have a a fondness for her as a performer. Why? What's so wrong? Katie, did you see Freeheld? I think you guys. Yes, it it is the stiffest (laughs) TV movie. I think we sat next to each other. It is the stiffest TV movie version of a story that is a very moving, true story, but just feels like complete anathema when dramatized. Like, it's the kind of story that you're watching, and you kind of know how it's going to end the entire time you watch it, and you're watching this uh, inevitable story play out with none of the grace. I think something like Still Alice, another Julianne Moore movie recently about a woman facing a kind of 
terrible life situation had. And then you get into things like Steve Carell popping oh up God. as this lawyer as if he's a dispatch from a completely different movie. It's just got so many tonal errors in it. Yeah, I mean, about- Michael Shannon does his best to... To, Michael Shannon is good. Movie, as someone who the evolving soul, as someone who uh, has a crush on um, on Laurel Hester, who is his partner, um, and slowly, and he he isn't he's not homophobic. He's just resentful of the fact that she felt like she had to keep a secret from him that she was gay for all these years they've worked together, and then he really comes around and becomes a big supporter for her and Stacy, uh, her partner, her partner in life. Um, and, uh, I, I like, and, and that is, uh, the movie doesn't really get any deeper than that. Josh Charles is in it as a, really, uh, it's one of the Just freeholders. Um, he's one of the freeholders. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a really, 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 really bad movie. And there is an Oscar winning documentary short that it's based on that you can watch online and is, I think I would probably like the Oscar-winning documentary short because it does seem like they took all the good stuff from that, reenacted it with actors, and kind of failed to get any of the power from it. Yeah, it's really, um, you know, you you don't want to, you don't want to, it's not fun to hate a movie like this because uh, you, you want that message to get out there into the world and you want to live in a world where you don't necessarily even need to make movies like this. Uh, because you don't, there's no one out there you need to convince of their, uh, the merit of their message. But um, that's bad. And then I am Malala. I mean, David Guggenheim. This is a guy who won an Oscar for filming somebody else's PowerPoint presentation. Uh, and without Al Gore to give him a structure here, he is totally lost. This is his worst movie, and that's saying something. Um, Malala talking uh, against a brick wall for 90 minutes into a camera would have been endlessly more interesting. Some, someone had mentioned to me that uh, her mother kind of gets the shaft. Of this oh yeah, there. her Can mother. You talk about that. What like what's the what's the deal there? That well, she. They, I mean, it's her father and mother on different sides of a political line, and well, her mother is symptomatic of a culture where women don't uh, or were not allowed are not allowed to. Get educated, and so she is uh, been shaped by that. And her father is a very educated man and understands the value of education. I think often he may love their mother, but he may see that deficit in her and wish to uh, for not to perpetuate in, in their children. But there is a huge contrast there. And Davis Guggenheim, um, if there is any footage of Malala and her siblings saying anything nice about their mother, uh, he cut it out. So this is not Malala like going raving or uh, no. She, I think the most scandalous thing she does is say that she has a crush on Roger Federer, which is in the trailer. Um, Big. Stuff. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, right. Um, but uh, yeah, this is. I I was just what a garbage movie. I hated it so much that when Malala came to Skype Q and A after the movie, I like, couldn't even be bothered to stay. I was like, I have to, I have to go, Malala. I'm sorry. Malala herself was there, <laughs> and you excused yourself. Um, it's it's funny that this documentary is not doing it for you. The, the the adaptation of the documentary of Free Held is not doing it for you. Uh, Katie, you saw our brand is crisis, right? Another adaptation yeah. of documentary. 
So Another many. adaptation of a documentary. What, what? I don't know. I don't understand this trend necessarily, or if it's working for anyone. Did it work for you? Our brand is crisis. Yeah, as far as I can tell, it's not. It's pretty loosely based on the documentary, and I haven't seen it, so I really shouldn't be commenting. Definitely on loosely it. based because uh, James yeah, Carville okay. is the star of the documentary, basically, and Sandra Bullock's character. And for people who don't know, this is about a. I want to say it's a Bolivian uh, yeah, election so, off the yeah. top of my head. Uh, Bolivian. Yeah, and. It's it's loosely based on the documentary from a few years ago, and it's about kind it's of about political a- strategy that goes into coordinating these elections, coordinating these campaigns, and all the fishy about- stuff that people get into when they're doing this. And specifically, it's about a bunch of American political consultants who are brought down to Bolivia right. by these candid- by these Bolivian candidates saying, all right, we want some of your American political spin skills. And, and um, oh, what's her name? Who stars in it? Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock is an amalgamation of many people. I think George Clooney was actually supposed to play the character to begin with when they wrote it. When they yeah, and it. James Carville is clearly turned into the character that is played by Billy Bob Thornton, so he's not right. gone completely because Billy Bob is very bald. Billy bald, um, and so it's a really weird film. Our, our colleague Jordan Hoffman said it best uh, that it was kind of like Mash. That it's this kind of seventies throwback, this rambling comedy that has really serious afterthoughts um and it's you know it's based on this documentary that seemed very successful at the time is this movie successful to you is this political it's obviously coming out because we're about to go through an election david gordon green has some very cynical serious points to make uh talking about bolivian elections but is it funny is it interesting i don't know i like i liked it a lot you liked it a lot I thought it was funny and interesting and moving in parts. And I think it ends in a way, I mean, and I won't talk about how it ends obviously, but I think the way that it ends kind of does take away a little bit from some of the bigger stuff that it does because it is cynical. It is really thought provoking. It's really clear. eyed It's it a little Hollywood. At the end. It gets a little Hollywood at the end, but not, not in a way that I think ruins the whole thing, but it, it you know, puts it in a slightly different light. But I think Sandra Bullock and the cast around her are great. Like Anne Dowd, who you know from Compliance and The Leftovers and a million other things, is really, really good as another political consultant. I think she's got Anthony Mackie on her team. Zoe Kazan shows up. Scoot McNary, who I'm Funny guy. learning how to recognize in uh, movie after movie. There's a car chase in this movie somehow. There's a very goofy bus chase. Um, yeah, I thought it had this great energy to it. It was like Soderbergh doing, or sorry, David Gordon Green doing Soderbergh or kind of really trying on another style for himself. It doesn't really feel anything like anything else he's made recently, which I think he's perfectly good at doing. Wait, he's been when does the David Gordon Green just, movie feel like another David Gordon Green movie? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, and like, I really like that he's kind of doing this like mainstream movie for adults thing. And it feels more like kind of, Argo than anything else. Not that a studio is putting it out. Warner Brothers is putting it out. So and now it uh, feel like and George Clooney is producing. I mean, that's kind of the brand George Clooney is establishing yeah. for himself. His brand, His brand is His grown brand. up. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. I, I really like this movie. I think it's got, uh, in terms of like political thrillers or real life stories made for grown ups that I've seen here, and I haven't seen Spotlight, so I can't judge on that. But I think it's you know one of the stronger ones. Well, there, we, there are like 270 other movies that we're we haven't talked about started, at Toronto, so but uh, we're, we're going to wrap up anyway, uh, unless there's something else. No. Oh, <laughs> David is <laughs> done. He's literally frowning and <laughs> thumbs downing. Day. It's been a long day. You, you took a plane. 
and you met Claire Denis, and now you're you're collapsing on my microphone. Katie, <laughs> any other mo- movies that stand out very quick? Oh, real quick, a movie I don't even know when I'll have a chance to talk about, but it's called Miss You Already. It's got Drew Barrymore and Tony Collette as best friends. It is oh. pretty silly. It's a little bit of a throwback. It's a like a Nicole Holofcener Center light female friendship movie, Riding but I liked cars it. Boys too. Sure, I, or Beaches too. Oh, uh, but I, I liked it. It's got uh, they have a good rapport together. It's funny and uh, a little goofy. The and Danish girl. I did see the Danish girl. I liked that too. I liked it too. We'll, we'll the, definitely get there. Yeah, we'll absolutely get there. Alicia Vikander is our new Lord and Savior. I so am bowing to her. everyone can bow down. I know that David agrees with that, even though I'm sure he will hate the Danish girl. No, I can't wait to. Find oh, out David is going to hate. I now go to the movies and think about which ones David is going to hate. Some are just too sweet. They're just too sweet for David. <laughs> Danish girl definitely falls into that category. It's you know, those Danishes, they rock their teeth. Oh, it's going to be. He's going to hate it so much. Uh, Patches, anything you've loved? Anything I've loved, loved, loved? I mean. Or that you just want to talk about before we go? Uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Through You Princess, which is this documentary about a YouTube remix that sent this one girl from Louisiana who had absolutely no idea what she was getting herself into. Uh, it sent her totally viral, and it's a very uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing. The internet can come together. This guy, this Israeli remix composer guy, Kudiban took her videos from YouTube and, and made her a star, made her into uh, she ma- he made an album for her basically. And it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's exactly what you want the internet to be able to do, which is come together, take all these different parts from all sorts of people all over the world and, and make magic happen. And that's what the documentary is all about. It's super sweet. And there are, I left with a lot of questions and I was a little infuriated by it. And yet I'm still, Still life affirming. Gonna go David's going to hate it. No, David is going to hate it. I'm seeing it on Saturday morning. Really? On oh, recommendation. You are not going to like it. It's very positive. Oh, no. In terms of mm. what the internet can do. Um, but it does leave you with a lot of questions about how was this movie made? Why, like, can you just take people's you know, YouTube clips? Can you take their art and appropriate it for your own use or like pluck someone from obscurity? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, through your princess it's gonna come out and that's pretty much the only thing I'd recommend right now there's a lot of movies we uh, so many that I would talk about David's falling asleep though so we should go <laughs> alright well we will be back next week probably not to talk about all these movies in detail that's gonna happen no, over that'll happen all season the next eight years of our life and uh, just if you actually if you play this entire podcast backwards it's just David saying Carol over and over again so enjoy that uh, subliminal message that we've included for you Mara is dead exactly. oh no <laughs> no uh, but yeah that does it for this week we will be back uh, hopefully with the full crew intact to uh, uh, bring on fall movie season head on so in the meantime tell the people who you are I'm Matt Patches. I am the senior writer at Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. I'm on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And I am Katie Rich. I am at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Ta-da! I'm also falling asleep, David, so... Yep. Yeah.